Hi, I'm Garrett, and welcome to The Conversation. I think conversation is one of the most important tools we have for building and maintaining genuine relationships. In the age of the internet and social media, the conversation is a dying art. While we're technically more connected than ever, it seems more difficult than ever to engage with alternative perspectives in a meaningful way. We talk past each other and speak totally different languages without even knowing it. This show is my attempt at working on that problem. I'm trying to learn how to have meaningful conversation and practice what I learn. It's partly an experiment. Maybe if I start having more difficult conversations, I can get better at it. Maybe we can all get better at it. I don't know how this experiment's going to turn out, but hey, this could be interesting. So, yeah, the reason the reason I reached out to you, the reason we wanted to try to have this conversation is because you wrote a, an article about Rene Girard, which I had heard that guy's name a couple of times, random, I don't, I don't know exactly when or who, but like it, it entered into my sphere of consciousness. And I knew that, I recognized the name when I saw it. I was like, okay, I, I should probably read this. I need to figure out what this guy's about. But when I got into your article, it was like so many things started clicking as far as just, various reading I've been, I've been doing lately and, and different, different thought trails I'd been going down. But yeah, maybe you could start by kind of outlining a little bit of, of I mean, so Evan hasn't read the article, so he's, he's our control here to make sure, <laughs> make sure this all makes sense. Yeah, it's going to be difficult, Evan, because <clears throat> he is quite, he is quite like specialist in a way. And like the article requires knowledge in several things you know but it's not it's not for it's not for everyone but but yeah we can we can we can give it a go for sure so i mean and, uh, fundamentally you said in the article it's like well sorry it, it, he's like making sense of all these old mythical traditions or like trying to kind of crack the code of like what are all these about right yeah so he he's really interested in like his work like he he goes on a journey uh, with this theory, he develops this theory, and he, it's not going to be a Christian theory to start with, but it turns into a Christian theory. And in that transformation, he uh, gets loads of insights into what Christianity is in quite a quite an interesting way. And it's definitely not the whole story of what Christianity is, but it's a way of viewing a facet of Christianity, and it's a way of viewing this facet that can be done in a really rational way. So he's, he's a really useful, interesting theorist in, in that sense. But the, And the way you explained and kind of told this story is that you almost brought some continuity between, and, and this is the way I, I tend to view, like looking at mythologies and ancient religions is that there, there's like a, there's a stepping process of like gradually discovering God and discovering this really important story about how to, how to deal with, how to understand reality, right? But yeah, so he, so like a big part of his, I think we just started the beginning of his theory. Like his, yeah. his first, his first discovery is like mimetic desire. Yeah, and it's like explain that. The, the best way of understanding it is like a, a way of explaining how micro interactions between people work and like, t like tiny little ways that our social lives like resolve themselves between each other. And he realizes that it's based around desire, how we desire things and how uh, other people desire things. Yeah, can you, he, can you give like an example of, of a memet? Like, I, I can totally wrap my mind around that word. I mean, I, I almost read it like from a Dawkins perspective, like memetic desire, but mimetic is a different word. Yeah, it is. It's very different. It's very confusing because it's said in exactly <laughs> the same way. So it's a really, it's a really bad um, <laughs> conflict there. So it's, it's spelt with an I yeah. and it refers to uh, mimicry. It refers to desire based around mimicry. And it's, it's you desire something because somebody else desires something, basically. It's just, it's just the form of, of desire that we observe that in children, sense. in children all the time. Like, you know, your your daughter wants something because your son wants something. Yeah, you know your daughter wants something because your son has something. Yeah, and it, and like obviously it's like really important in uh, children's 
behavior. But Girard is saying that it's really fundamental to human life and especially was fundamental to human life in, in the earliest societies, like tribal groups. We can't relate it easily to our society because our society is so different from those early societies. Mm. So, yeah. So, so he, he looks into great works of literature and he sees that they're all based around these, uh, this way of desiring that you desire something because something else, somebody else desires something. And this form of desire, which is so fundamental to people, inevitably leads to conflict. So it's behind the conflict of the characters in these, uh, in these works. Um, and he, so he, he, he discovers this in these great works of literature. He's a, he's a, a literary professor. And he goes from that place to looking into um, anthropology and he looks at like tribal anthropology and he discovers that this form of desire and rivalry is like really fundamental to like the mythologies that the tribes have yeah. and therefore fundamental to the rituals that they use to um, like manage their societies which is what which is what rituals are used for and uh he goes from there into uh creating his theory which is that which is a theory about sacrifice right and yes yeah, so see if we can get there to get explaining so what why is why does like mimetic desire so i mean to, just to, just to cap that off, we have mimetic desire. It's it's almost like it's how you transcend yourself and be part of a bigger group wanting something. It's like if individuals just want something, then they all go after it on their own. But if if somehow we figure out a way to copy each other, we resolve into a into a larger entity that could pursue something together, right? Actually, not really. But like, yeah, the the way that this mimetic desire, which is basically desire between individuals relates to a group is quite difficult. It's, okay. it's quite difficult for us to understand. Basically, for our purposes, we're looking at the group being the place where this mimetic desire is taking place. Uh, the mimetic desire happens between individuals, but because it's happening between all of the different individuals at once, there's loads of crossovers. So it turns into this group dynamic which is basically this kind of dangerous group conflict where everybody just just basically gets into conflict with each other. Like, it, it's, where, Where's the conflict coming from? It's like people wanting something and they can't have it? It's just people... Yeah, it's... I think that, like, basically, Gerard puts this mimesis, which is wanting what your model, what this person who you have... Yeah. Uh, who has become your model, wanting what they have, and he puts he puts this at the center of everything, and he this is fundamental to his theory, and it makes his theory into this kind of semi scientific theory. But I don't agree with putting it at the center of everything. What I think is important is that you see it as a um, you see it as a way of understanding. You see, you just see it as a way of explaining why interactions between humans result in conflict, and and you can best understand it as a it, analogously as a um, uh, as the blood feud, like somebody wrongs me and I have to take revenge against them, and then that escalates because their family has to take revenge on my family, and then a cycle of revenge happens and the whole, like everybody is going to be brought into that cycle of revenge. Like there's no way of escaping it. Because so, so if, if I want revenge and there's other people that like look at me as sort of a role model, they, or is it role on, maybe that's not quite the right word, but somebody looks at me and it's through that mimetic desire. Now they want revenge too. Like through me, they enter into my story and like, now we want revenge on that guy. And then it kind of spreads and it, is that how the escalation kind of works? So, so like, so like, mimetic theory is like this. is is quite a technical way of understanding uh, 
interactions between people, and it's quite difficult to explain. And I don't 100% agree with it. Okay. But you, but you can, like, but, but his theory is, like, important far beyond this original concept. He's, like, okay, so mimetic theory is a little bit like Darwin's theory of evolution, okay? So the theory of evolution depends on the survival of the fittest, right? Everything, you understand everything through the survival of the fittest. Everything in Darwin's theory can be, under, can be understood through the survival of the fittest, and, that, and that's what makes it a scientific theory. Right. So that helps it to be a theory that uh, is acclaimed in academia, is acclaimed in science, and, beco uh, and becomes a fundamental part of knowledge. That's what Girard is trying to do with his theory. In order to make it scientific, in order to make it rational, he's trying to reduce human relations to uh, this one thing, which is mimetic desire. And I think that he's doing that to make his theory into a rational scientific theory. I think that he was really excited about his discovery of mimesis. Uh, but like, I think that that's why he makes the concept so fundamental. What I'm trying to say to you is that I don't think it's super important to uh, explain the theory through mimesis. Okay. You need to understand mimesis as just a way of describing micro-social interactions between people. Like, we're living next door to each other, and mimesis is why we enter into conflict over time. And it's basically because I want what you have um, and, you know, it's more complicated than that, but like, you know, it's, it's just a way of describing why people who are next to each other, why people within families, why neighbors come into conflict, but it's the conflict that's the important part, like the technical description of why the conflict happens, I think is a little bit, it's a little bit, it's a little bit difficult to get into. It's very technical and it's a little bit misleading. Okay. Um, but but the blood feud, like, say I get into a conflict with my neighbor, right? And that results in violence, and I kill my neighbor. In 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 ancient societies and in many current societies, that means that my victims' uh, relatives have uh, an honor are honor bound to take revenge on me. And when they take revenge on me, my relatives are honor bound to take revenge on them. And then right. the cycle just keeps keeps going. So the so the initial emergence of conflict, which is through this micro-technical theory called mimetic theory, turns into this blood feud. And the blood feud threatens the whole group, threatens the tribe, because everybody will be drawn into the conflict in like 100% with 100% reliability. Everybody will be drawn into the conflict. There's no way to stop the conflict from happening. This is the mimetic crisis. So this is the crisis that threatens the early group, the early tribe. So Girard says the tribe, because of these tiny little micro interactions between people, conflict happens and then... Um, Violence happens and then violence just spreads through the group and the whole group is threatened with destruction because, um, yeah, because of the, because of the, because they're going to kill various, each other basically. Yeah. Yeah. So faced with destruction, the group either destroys itself and that is possible. So he goes into like lots of anthropology in his work and he, he looks at this, this group, um, There's this anthropologist called Jules Henry. He's wrote a book called The Jungle People, and it's about this tribe in South America where this happens. They they self-destruct. They basically commit social suicide. Um, really? Okay. For Gerard, because like they don't have a way of managing this violence. Right, so unless you discover so, this sort so of I'm, story about how to deal with, deal with the violence or the sin that's in all of us, you yeah. just go extinct. So anybody, any tribe that, that has continued to exist, they've Sooner or later, they figured out a version of this story and they acted out in ritual. Yeah. So what they find 
So everything's going crazy, right? Everybody, like violence is threatening the group. And at a certain point, just as the violence and the danger reaches its climax, then instead of everybody conflicting with each other, right. people suddenly single out somebody to blame for the violence. They suddenly see one individual as to blame for everything that's going wrong in the group, for all of the violence that's happening in the group. And that individual is what we now know as the scapegoat. And that individual is violently killed. And when they kill that individual, that, that is what solves the crisis. And everything is resolved. Well, it, Everything's... It's, it seems like, it's like, okay, obviously th there's so many stories that seem to play this out. And, and like, there's so many, so many ancient cultures seem to have like sacrifice rituals. And what's that all about? And so this sort of like, okay, that solves it. But how on earth does it solve it? Because that was, that person wasn't the problem, right? Yeah, but the, so, so yeah, right. So you, they weren't the problem, but you believe that everybody believes that they were the problem. Right. Well, and then it so, so solves the problem of all the anxiety that people have built up, like looking for a way, like that they've been wanting to vent this anxiety, this anger towards somebody or something. And now they have a point that they can say, oh, well, that's, that's the bad thing. We're just going to throw yeah. all of our anger, so the, so, throw all of our rage at that. Yeah. So the obvious modern, modern example is the Jews in Nazi Germany, right? So mm. well, I was gonna say, the, the, the Nazis, a really the Nazis, Modern the Nazis example. make it clear to everybody that the Jews are to blame for all of the problems during the 1920s that Germany was facing and their loss in World War One, and everybody blames them. And like, it, it kind of works. Like, they're, they're, like yeah. Germany gets back exactly. on its feet financially and everybody is everybody else apart from the Jews, like all of the other German people, are unified, right? It creates unification in the group because you're able to identify this other, exclude them, and then you are unified. Right. But it is important to keep it on the tribal level. So like when this individual... Yeah, like people just believe that they are the person... Like it... We, we don't really know why they believe that the person is to blame. Uh, I think that they just have to, and they just make mythology around it. They construct a mythology around it because the alternative is the destruction of the group. Yeah. So we're probably going to have a couple moments like that. There's a little bit of a delay here, so I didn't, couldn't hear when you started talking. But, All right, cool, man. Um, but yeah, I mean, so once you'd gotten kind of to that, that you'd laid that much out in your article, all these gears started turning in my head, especially after recently spending a little bit of time reading some Freud stuff. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is, this is the same. Well, at least <laughs> I, I tend to, whenever I read anything, I just think everything's the same. <laughs> yeah. But so no, somehow all, I saw that all process right. of like, okay, on an individual level, this is, this is like the suppression and then the like, um, well, various mental, mental uh, disorders or, or, or like things like, anxiety or depression or like even more serious things like schizophrenia or like uh, what's what's the one that makes you yell yeah yeah uh, Tourette's. Tourette's yeah okay there, there, there's various different different um basically our bodies sort of discover ways of letting out all of the pressure of built-up anxieties and it's yeah. it, it's a very simple it's just like and and Freud kind of he he use this sort of analogy of like a pipe system of emotions a lot in like to, mm -hmm. as far as like inside of us it's like we're just a bunch of pipes and if like you get a lot of pressure built up in one spot it's got to go somewhere and then yeah. if you see somebody like with Tourette start yelling or like or maybe they just to totally turn off and they start cowering in fear or they start yelling and screaming at people or yeah. they go and murder someone <laughs> right no yeah. I think that's a really good way of understanding it like it is, it is a good analogy for that for that mechanic. So, so after that happens, then the social crisis threatens again after that. Right. So, but instead of... Well, because you haven't solved the problem. The instead, yeah, it didn't solve the problem in the long term. It didn't solve the problem of conflict in our societies in the long term, obviously. So, but instead of like replaying the whole thing, people start to develop ritual in order to 
do the same thing symbolically. Yeah. So you so you replay the crisis and you replay the resolution to the crisis, but this time it's a symbolic ritual, and it's not an actual murder. Although it could be a human sacrifice, for instance, right. for Gerard. And then, because that would initially be human sacrifice, then for Gerard, he says that all of the other instances of sacrifice are like versions of this human murder. Which, like, basically. the modern so, version so, of that so, story is, like, the super villain, or, like, it's just the villain. Like, it's, like, you have one person to point at and blame all the problems at, and then we get to kill that guy, and then everything's all better. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, maybe maybe the villain is a, is a good analogy for it. Um, yeah, so, so he... So that's his theory. That's his theory as it initially was. And he begins to look at... He continues... He's very excited about his discovery, and he begins to like look through various anthropological texts, continues to read anthropology, and then he comes to the Bible, and he expects the Bible to uh, tell the same. Oh, sorry, so we're missing a step. Okay. So when it becomes when it becomes formulated into ritual, then you you create mythologies, right? You create yeah. stories for why the for why you're doing the ritual. You're, you create stories that explain the ritual. And the stories always have to conceal what's happening in this scapegoating, in this resolution to the, to the crisis. It always has to conceal and yet recreate the scapegoating. So basically, it, um, it has to identify somebody as being like a troublemaker, a weirdo, uh, uh, an evil, an evil person, and ex- and like explain away the the attacks on him, and like yeah, it's, it's just it's just got to it's it's got to conceal the innocence of that person. Right. So he saw he looked into lots of mythologies and he and he saw that they did do this concealing. Yeah. And he looked at the, so he came to the Bible and he expected the Bible to repeat this process, like to be another mythology, because he was an atheist at the time. So he looks at the Bible and he sees the opposite. He sees the opposite to what he was expecting. Instead of concealing the innocence of the victim, the Bible shows, explicitly reveals, or in the Old Testament, kind of partially reveals the innocence of the victim. And this is the first, this is the first book, mythology or book to do this. Well, because another element you said though, is that after they, you know, all gang up on that one person and then filter all of their rage into that person and and kill them or something, they they tend to like be like deified afterwards. as like, now this person is sort of the savior of their sins. Yeah, this is, yeah, that's, that's quite an important part of his theory. Um, it's quite difficult to get into though. Okay. <laughs> like, and I, I'm not sure what, what, like what, what thoughts did you have regarding that? Well, I, I, so uh, as I was thinking about this, I started kind of seeing it play out on, on two different levels or like, so there's, there's the regular, there's the Girardian version of the story where you like, you find something negative and then you filter all of your rage onto it and kill it or cast it out. And, and you've at least yeah. gotten rid of all that excess anxious energy you had towards like whether as an individual or whether as a family or whether as a whole, you know, community or tribe of people, right? You you finally, you you have one thing to point at and filter all your rage into it and kill it. And then, well, now, now that it's actually, you know, it's made you all feel better. You you look at it and it's, that's something actually to to be thankful for. And then it becomes this, this good thing. And there's a, there's really good connotation to it. But then I I saw also, we kind of do an invert of that as well, where, we have positive desire kind of build up in us that is kind of unresolved as well. We have like maybe maybe we have a lot of advertisements for for greasy foods and things like that. Yep. And we, we, we get these like all week and it's like, oh, I really want to eat something delicious. And then we finally go and buy a dozen donuts and it's like, this is going to be the best thing ever. We filter all of that desire into this one object and just 
feel like we have this explosion of happiness and then suddenly we feel so terrible and we look at that box of donuts and say, you're the cause of all my problems. You're horrible, right? And it's the, yeah. the same kind of flip of response. Um, yeah. and so I, I just noticed that yeah. where it's like, that's, we, ha- we have pornography and we have idolatry, right? We, we either, yeah. or no, sorry, we have like pornography, which is idolatry, or we have like scapegoating. We either look at something and filter all of our, it, this is just the easy way out of dealing with a problem. We, we filter all of our desire onto a thing or all of our rage onto a thing, but it doesn't, it at least gets rid of all that desire juice anyways, like the libido that Freud yeah. talks about. Yeah, he, he basically says that like, this is how, this is the the origin story behind a lot of the gods and heroes that they are the the scapegoat, and he links it to the he links it to scapegoat kings, which existed in a lot of ancient societies and in, yeah. and a few contemporary tribes as well, where the king is like ritually killed at the end of their reign. Right in the Z- and, I think it's uh, Zagmuk ritual is for the Mesopotamians. They always they like they gang up on their king and they either they either kill him or they have like a thief stand in and he like pretends to be the king and then they kill the thief at the end of the and then they resurrect the king. But they, 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 I thought that was interesting because yeah. they kind of blame it all on a on a political figure or the leader. And like that's sort of what we do. Yeah. You know, every time we have an election cycle, we say, okay, all of our problems, they were that president's fault. Now it's going to be this new guy and he's going to solve all the problems. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I like you. The reason why I didn't concentrate on this deification aspect is that it would create loads of extra problems with how I was relating it to the Lord of Spirits podcast. You know? Yeah, you were because they for some reason those guys as well. have some and difficulty what, seeing or like the, the, they don't they want to say that the the Christian story is like totally different or yeah um, um, they just they just concentrate on the on the on the on the angels and demons which comprise the hierarchies they concentrate on the re, on these real existing entities. And I don't think Gerard really thinks that they that those kind of things exist. Um, so that is just a it's just a huge difference between them that I didn't want to introduce into the article. So because I didn't, what I'm trying to say is because I didn't introduce it into the article, I haven't really thought about it, you know, very deeply. Sure. Next is just the just the Christian the, yeah. the Christian turn and and the, and the the relevance of the theory to Christianity, which is another huge huge subject. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I, this is the part I really wanted, wanted to get into with you because I like just telling that story. It's like, okay, that makes sense that that's the Christian story in some sense. And like the Christian story, just like, it just, just takes it to its logical conclusion. It doesn't like subvert it totally. It just like goes further and says, okay, let's, let's get down even lower and let's deal with the problems as low as we can go. And it's like, that doesn't seem to be like a, a hard a hard left or right turn in, in the development of this story. It's just like, okay, it's continuing that story down on the, on the to lower and lower structures of consciousness. Uh, continuing which story, sorry? Well, I, I mean, the, this, this Girardian story that he sort of discovered of like, you know, you have, you have these energies built up of, of ne- negative or positive and yeah. you need to eventually, you know, eventually you get to a threshold of, okay, now there's enough that I'm, that I'm angry or there's, there's some, there's some negative pressure built up here and I need to, need to, need to aim this somewhere. Like I'm, I'm, I'm angry. There's a lot of little problems here. How am I going to deal with them? You find what seems to be the biggest problem and you aim all the energy at that. And then you, you say all of your problems are gone, but really if you just, you've just kind of solved one of them. Like, I mean, even within all of those, all these stories it's like whenever we tell a story about a bad guy it's like if we if we take the story apart we can even see that okay it's really just a human and that not everything even about that character is bad but like we're using it as, as this Girardian scapegoat thing so so the so so Chris, the Christian the Bible is is different from everything else because it it unveils and thus completely ruins this method that we've uh, just been discussing so instead of finding a victim, an innocent victim, and uh, putting the problems on that victim and killing them or exiling them, the Bible shows to us through its stories, the Old Testament shows to us through several of its stories, and then the New Testament shows to us explicitly through Christ's death 
that the, the victim was innocent. Therefore, the whole thing is broken. The whole thing doesn't work anymore. So, it, and you have to understand that this was, according to Gerard, this was the way that societies, that groups of humans uh, managed themselves. It was, like, it was like their legal system, basically. It was like an alternative legal system. It was the way that they kept their groups stable. And it worked. It worked in keeping the group stable. It, it worked in, in stopping this buildup of aggression and violence between okay. people. So when Christianity, or also Judaism to an extent, shows that the victim is innocent, it, it doesn't work anymore. And that's why, it's, that's why Christianity is so important. And that's why it's so different to uh, what, was, what came before. But if, I mean, so like, th this is what I'm talking about as far as it going down a level of consciousness. So it's like, okay, within the group, the group singles out a particular piece of it, a, a particular human in that group, and blames everything on that group. That human probably is partially responsible for the problems. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're, they're innocent at least of all of the problems, but they're not innocent of... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It, and so the group you know, filters all that energy onto that one person and gets rid of them, and, and then it feels like it's kind of solved the, solved the problem. I, it yeah. seems to me like literally what Jesus teaches us to do is to like repent of our sins, like focus on a particular part of ourself that we can like basically go as, lo as low as we can go and like look at our, as John Vermicki has, like our, our consciousness Congress, look at all the little mm -hmm. parts that make us up and find the one that we think is causing the problem and like kind of say, oh, here's my sin. I'm going to offer this up to God and I'm going to blame all my problems on that sin. Yeah. Uh, maybe, I'm not sure. Maybe he does that. I think he does like so many... Jesus just does so many different things, like, and his teachings are like manifold. Like he, like the uh, the golden rule is like a Christian, uh, and it's also in other religions. Like it's a it's a technology that that deals with this mimetic crisis. It's a technology that deals with conflict. Right, but like but, a lot of Christians tend to even take the golden rule. And, and like say, okay, well, this didn't like come from anything else. This was just a totally new thing that happened. Like to me, I, I see a, like a continuity there. It's like, like the oldest version is like whatever the code of Humarabi or whatever. Um, something like do, don't, don't do to your neighbor what you don't want them to do to you. But then when we get to Christianity, it becomes a positive and instructional, like actually do to your neighbor what you want him to do to you. And it's like, mm -hmm. that doesn't seem like, again, it doesn't seem like an opposite or like a hard turn of like something totally different. It's just like expanding on that process. Like, oh, how much further could we take this? No, I agree. That is not an opposite. But there's a, there's loads of other aspects of the Christian uh, message and story which are unique and revolutionary. And for Girard, like bringing it back to Girard, he was convinced of its uniqueness because Christianity is the only thing which explicitly and centrally uh, uncovered the scapegoating process in a in a social sense, and just showed it to showed it to be what it is, and thus destroyed it. He he ended its power basically. But I mean, those stories and, are still like like you could still find that pattern in the stories we've continued to tell about ourselves, even within sort of the the Christian tradition. I feel like I mean even. Yeah, so scapegoating is still around, is what right. I mean. Yeah. Yeah, so that's like, but we, but we see it, we know what it is, we can name it. Like before, that, that's, that's, that's part okay. of the Christian um, revolution, is that we know it's there, and we can name it, we know what it is, and we know that it's bad, we know that it's wrong. So that's like a huge difference uh, from before, and it means that we can build on it. It it just feels like we're like so we haven't I don't know I I just it feels a little bit wrong to say that like we just we end that story I just feel like we've like we recognize that we're playing out that story and so we do it a little bit more carefully or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean this is so this is like it's a very difficult difficult it's, it's very yeah Christianity has failed to an extent and as Jonathan Pajot has said many times that 
is that prediction is already contained within Christianity. Like it, that's in the uh, the apocalypse. That's in the uh, book of Revelation. Like that is, for Gerard, he says that that is the failure of Christianity because that is, uh, he thinks that it's a, a human created war. Uh, revelation is a human created conflict or war that will that will happen and that is the failure of christianity and then after that um you know christ will come again and things will be healed again i think that yeah the fact that scapegoating is still present in our society is it's to do with all of the things that jonathan Pajot covers it is to do with the ways in which Christianity has failed in the West is to do with the Enlightenment. It's to do with, um, yeah, it, it just brings all of those things into into the conversation, and uh, it's it's a big one. Okay, so can we jump back to the goats for a second? Because you, you were talking briefly sure. about about Azazel or or like because because specifically, I'm not sure if we've actually gotten into this yet, but with within the way that the 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 Jewish tradition worked like the way Israel did the scapegoating thing. They had like, they, they did like a day of atonement. They had a day of like, of reuniting themselves or of like covering themselves, bringing, bringing some unity back to the group. And that the way they did that was through picking out two animals. Are, are they both goats or is it just one a goat? Both goats. Okay. Yeah. And so they have one that's like a sacrifice to God and one that's for Azazal, which is like, who knows who that guy is? He's only in scripture a couple times, but like... Yeah, he's basically Satan. I think okay. that he's like... I th- I'm pretty sure that he's Satan. Uh, I think the Lord of Spirits guys might disagree with me. I'm not sure. Well, I think he is... At least a character of evil, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, sure. there's, a, there's a character in the... Mar- or no, it's not the Marvel... Well, maybe actually it might be in the extended Marvel universe, but in the X-Men uh, characters, there's a guy named... Azazel, who's like, he literally is like this demonic entity and he's trapped in the demonic realm. Have yeah, you heard of this guy? So many fantasy names are taken from the Old Testament. It's a really cool name, like in terms of its evil power, Azazel. What, what's right. even crazy about it is I, I was just reading like the wiki page for this guy. And so he's not able to get to earth. He's like trapped in his, his demonic realm or whatever. But he, so he like manages to get himself like into earth in some ways by like seducing different different women so they they can bear his children and then his children will will walk the earth but then the only women that that can actually hold his children because they're like he's he's such an evil entity he's all like superhero women so he impregnates the character mystique and she has she has his child and when people find out that she has a demon baby they literally play out the goat of azazel story on her and the whole town blames all of their problems on mystique and and they run her to the edge of town and like spit on her and say, you know, damn you to hell. You're you're the problem. You're the cause of all of our problems. And then wow. and then it happens on a microcosm. She does the same thing with her baby, and she says, if it wasn't for you, I would be. And, and she kind of blames all of her own personal issues on this baby and throws the baby off of a cliff, which is exactly what happens in the in the Israelite well, story too, right? Yeah, they probably they probably copied. Uh, they probably just copied the story. Yeah, well, I thought it was. I mean, it was a great way to even just to bring that story to light because you can follow these characters. It's not quite as detached with like, you know, being yeah. an ancient text. It's like this. This was that story, but brought kind of for a current uh, current viewer or reader. Bringing in these goats is going to really confuse um, Evan. <laughs> yeah, are you I following mean, so far? When you guys were talking about the scapegoat, I was thinking like the Israelites probably thought that their goats were... Like, I thought the whole thing was that they had to bring a pure animal to sacrifice, right? So that connection was kind of already there. They had the innocence thing. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so Girard says that the, the the animals that were selected for sacrifice in other tribes, maybe not the Jews, are the ones which are, like, as close to humans as possible, which have, like, kind of human characteristics rather than the ones which are pure, so that they can stand in for humans. Um, for the Jewish Day of Atonement ritual, I'm not sure if that's true at all, but this Day of Atonement ritual, Evan, this is like of absolutely central importance to the to the Jewish 
practices before Christ's birth. And then it's like central to the Christian story because these guys in the Lord of Spirits podcast, they explain how uh, Christ fulfills the, rich, the, the purpose of the ritual of the Day of Atonement through his death and resurrection. That's what he's doing. He's, but he's performing this cleansing, uh, bonding ritual of the Day of Atonement. He's fulfilling that ritual for the whole world. He's performing the ritual for the whole world rather than just Israel. And that's that's what he's so it's really so it's really important to understand the Christian story to understand this day of atonement ritual, which contains these two goats. Well, so we, we understand one of the goats, or at least like it, the whole Girardian story we, we've, we've talked about so far that that makes sense of the goat for Azazel. We, we have one that we can kind of blame all the problems on. Why? Why is there two goats? So the so the other goat is the is, is the kind of positive sacrifice. It's the it's the offer. It's the Petersonian sacrifice. It's the offering up to God of uh, of some of our earthly material to receive uh, a, a purification or a blessing or a kind of informing from from Him from above. And this is like this is the this is the version of sacrifice that Gerard can't see in his work and it's one of the reasons why Gerard's work is kind of faulty and um, he, 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 can't, he can't see this version of sacrifice as being positive basically Interesting. yeah because that, that is a fundamentally different sort of sacrifice it's so I mean you, when you sacrifice yeah. the, the negative stuff it's like that's not even a sacrifice that's like just a freedom from your like to yourself like you're just getting rid of what yeah. you don't want yeah exactly yeah, and yeah, I think it, I think it it should be related on the everyday level to I think Peterson's self sacrifice, but it should also be an important part of our uh, kind of ritual life. But it's it's just not you know because we don't have a ritual life. But so is it, what I'm saying is it's quite hard to understand in in everyday terms. Yeah, well, it's but like it's a, almost our personal rituals tend or trend to more towards that Girardian type story of like, like I was saying, like like buying donuts and 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 letting like that's that's a, literally a version of that ritual of like, okay, I'm going to let all this positive desire out, or or finding a scapegoat and looking and saying, that's that's the guy, he's the one who's all my problems, and usually it's like a lot of people tend to like take all their life's problems and blame them on their boss. <laughs> Or blame them on their parents, or blame them on the church that brought them up. If they find yeah. somebody who's like easy to to point at and like who can, I guess, sort of take it too, because they're like they have some structure to them, and, and so like like obviously they've done some some things wrong, and and so it's easy to point to them, just like you know, the, like the Mesopotamians point at their their king and and kind of mock him. <laughs> Probably the modern equivalent, maybe for that self sacrifice, would be like a tithe, maybe. Or no? Uh, yeah, it's, that's that's definitely um, one of the aspects of it. Yeah, that's a, it's, a, it's a really good insight, actually. That's um, yeah, that is an offering up to what is higher than you, and that's like part of the structure between us and the authorities, right? Uh, and that's like a that's like the relationship between humanity and God, but on a lower on a lower level. For sure, yeah. So, like a, a, a tithe is uh, is definitely a form of offering. How do you like? You know what's re what's really interesting is that is that that structure is is so similar to these little online hierarchies that are being created, like under Jordan Peterson or Jonathan Peugeot or all these other influencers, because they have people who give a tithe to them. And they give meaning and information down in 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 exchange. Oh, like with the Patreon thing. Yeah, <laughs> that's interesting. Like that's the whole that's the whole structure of the the online economy. Like we all all of the followers of these people like give a certain amount of material to them in the form of a certain subscription, and they yeah. give their words in return. You know, would uh, OnlyFans be a hybrid of your uh, two? <laughs> you're sacrificing up 10% uh, and yeah it's difficult you get to your, 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 your 
Well, I, it's it's it is sort of like you're you're getting. Oh man, that's. Can <laughs> I take a minute to unpack? <laughs> because it seems like both of them at the same. You said yeah, it's like a hybrid because you're you're, on one hand, you're sort of filtering all this all this positive desire that you're getting because like especially within our modern advertising culture there's so many sexual prompts almost everywhere right everything's being mm. sold with sex and so you have this all this unmet like lib- libido and then you're like where am i going to put this yeah. and and so you so you kind of do that and that's that's the pornographic element of right it's like you you imagine that's going to solve all of your problems and it sort of does at least it resolves all of those all of that pressure that's built up for a second but it hasn't solved it doesn't for one thing it hasn't solved the societal problem of us marketing with sex so much and then your personal problem of you kind of exposing yourself to so, to so much of that type of advertisement or whatever but the idea of of giving up your first fruits to the goddess of sex and having <laughs> the meaning i don't know yeah maybe maybe you could explain that pattern though a little bit more of as far as like okay so you, you give up you give up some some thing and then meaning you get meaning in exchange yeah it's it's so the idea is uh basically formulated in matthew pajot's book language of creation and he basically portrays it as like a, a structure of reality it's the way that humans can interact with the, with the divine fundamentally but then it's also a way that um microcosms of that structure interact with each other for instance governments and the people under them or you know um youtuber influencers and patreon subscribers and stuff like that so like but most importantly it is the relationship between uh humans and and the divine so humans uh give offerings to the divine through like burnings or other forms of sacrifice and the divine gives meaning in exchange or information or it forms it, it, it forms what is below it uh through i suppose the logos so but it's a very it's a very i am not an expert on this uh process it's very difficult to understand and I, I don't think I can give an authoritative, like, version of it. To be honest, I can, I can, basically, yeah, just like that. See if you can riff on it a little bit with us here, though. Like, sure. Because, well, I mean, so, so, what? See if this at least makes sense with with your understanding of the concept. So, like, uh, you, you talked about like giving, um, like with the Patreon thing. That, I think that's that's an interesting example that, that lands, anyways. But, um, like, when you're giving up money to god that literally can't spend it it's a little bit uh, there's a little bit of a disconnect there but like within maybe the structure of a family if maybe it's the economy of attention maybe that makes a little bridges a little bit of a gap because if you spend time sort of spending if you spend time with your family in exchange for that you get a you get a covering you get a sense of feeling like you're part of a larger structure and so there's a larger meaning to your life than just being an individual it's like now you've you've become something bigger you've entered into a larger structure that is that is your family and you reaffirm that every time you like you pay the tithe of your attention of like focusing on the fact that you are part of a family yeah so like yeah i think attention attention is definitely relevant to it Although it's not, hmm. yeah, maybe attention is an offering. Because that that's like, by, you know, they're doing this this ritual, this story of like burning an animal to the altar. But like what's happening, it seems like they're spending this time, they're gathering around, they have a visual element to kind of play the story out on, but they're aligning all of their attention on this idea of like, God is going, is unifying us. God is going to like, so, I mean, for one thing, it, it brings some cohesion to the group. Like we are being redeemed but also like we are yeah. submitted to God and we're part of like, we're part of God's structure, God's covering. Yeah. Uh, your camera's gone out again, Garrett. Thanks. I, I think <laughs> I had this a couple of weeks ago. I was having a chat with another guy from, from the UK. It seems like we just don't have great servers or Google doesn't mm, have great I reckon, servers between. Yeah, it might also be my connection. My connection is not amazing. Yeah. We're still pretty yeah. backwards here in the UK in some places, unfortunately. Yes. I, I, I'll, I'll go reset my camera real quick and see if that fixes it. Cool, man.
So, uh, so are you like reading into this stuff, Evan? In in general, uh, I would say I'm pretty out of the loop for the most part on all this. I know names <laughs> and I've listened to a few videos, but I don't really read a lot of the same books. So, <laughs> but you're still interested in Garrett's project on his with his channel. Yeah, yeah, I, I like uh, I like the overarching things. I just haven't been as focused on the specifics as he is probably. Like, I think in general, yeah. he's at a different place, more philosophically, yeah. where I'm just like, ah, I got to study for uh, an exam, so I'll, I'll focus on that right now. <laughs> I've, I've been honestly, though, want- using Evan as a bit of a, like, a grounding, because I feel like I, I have a tendency to whenever I get kind of interested in a new idea or a new hobby, I'll tend to just like that becomes my whole world if I'm not careful. And yeah. I, I, I like this stuff is just it's really interesting to me right now. But I feel like I, I'm running the risk of like just becoming not interesting to talk to if I mm-hmm. if I get too deep in it. And so I, I go I go and I try to talk to Evan about some some new philosopher i've just discovered and he'll counter me by talking about some new episode of like theo vaughn's podcast and the hilarious crap that's going on over there and i'm like yeah you're right i need to go listen to some more funny stuff i need to go and experience other things hopefully this whole thing will become more grounded in time i will become more will have more of a formal structure where you can really learn something you know and learn something with other people because yeah. at the moment he's he's like he's, we're all kind of finding our own way, yeah. and the only the only structure that we can point to is the church, you know, yeah, or or, or the university. But I think that maybe there's a place for like knowledge structures like right here because it's like it, it's kind of what we're trying to do. We're trying to figure things out, and we're trying to. Um, get things down but it, it it gets it can get lost you know and, and as you say you you can just get lost in in information and people can just not know what you're talking about well what are the other fears so i mean like i feel like that kind of plays into something I, i've been i've been thinking about that i'm a little afraid of with, with even with this community and even kind of watching uh jonathan peugeot a little bit like he's very I mean, he's he's had a huge status thing attached to this, attached to going down this 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 trail of like finding meaning, finding symbols, and explaining everything through symbolism. And so, like, obviously, there's good incentive to keep doing that. But the, I mean, he he talks about this this idea of like the fall as being like going and and beginning to try to incorporate too low of information into yourself that you can't. You can't eat that information or you can't incorporate it into yourself. And so it's like rejected or are you so suddenly like your, your whole view, your larger sense of view of meaning falls apart. And, and like he talks about even that. So that, that's, that's the story of eating the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But like one of, a recent example I thought of is like, okay, if you're really young, you see somebody in a mailman outfit and you know, they're a mailman, you learn that that's what a mailman is. But if you if you haven't learned to comprehend do any abstract thinking yet, if, basically if you're not able to kind of preserve a sense of meaning about a person, they take off that mailman mailman outfit and you see them as somebody else. You can't actually comprehend them being a mailman anymore. It's like you've lost that meaning. You've 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 tried to incorporate something in that's sort of like a lower level of meaning of that person, despite their their sort of sociological role or, or whatever, like them being something. And it's like if you can't remember that, then like you've tried to incorporate information that's too low and you've lost your lost your comprehensive meaning story about the world does, does that make sense is that a good good example I don't know. yeah i think that these <laughs> the the people in in jordan peterson's position or jonathan Bajot's position they're facing a very difficult situation like for, from our perspective it seems like it's it's all great for them but they're they're really in a very scary position. And you can see this coming out in uh, the conversation that Peugeot and Peterson had together. Yeah. If you listen carefully to what Peterson is saying, like his fame to his followers and his the idolization that people accorded to him, it clearly was part of the stress that was on him, you know? Like 
it's just him being at the top of one of these hierarchies and being made into one of these mythological figures. Right. And he didn't, it's, it's so, you know, we, we don't know what it's like, but it's just, it's a really intense thing. I think that in comparison, Jonathan Pajot is uh, managing it really well, but he's, you know, he is facing a dangerous, a lot of psychologically dangerous areas. And uh, well, well, I, think I was we going to say that the fear I have for him is that he's, like because he's had such positive reinforcement for beginning to see like the symbolic meaning of everything, I feel like there's like so there's a lower limit of trying to incorporate knowledge that's too low, but I feel like there's there's an sort of an upper limit as well. And if you breach that, you begin to get into something rather than, you know, getting into, into nihilism, the inverted version of that problem is like paranoia or or like a, a quixotic, like, you know, hyper interpretive, hyper pattern seeking Oh, reality. Yeah. <laughs> and like it seems like yeah. he's genuinely really concerned that the you know the real end times are here or something maybe I'm misreading what's going on or what's going on inside I haven't talked to him personally but like oh he definitely does think that and that we were talking about it on the discord recently and uh yeah you're right like when when you when you're in the symbolic perspective when you're in the symbolic mindset if you encounter something like any any entity, like a tweet, for instance, or any piece of media, you've kind of got to take it seriously. It kind of it enters into your perceptions. I think in a in a very powerful way. I mean, it does it does for everybody, you know. But I think that like if you if if you've been looking at the media environment for a long time, and I started studying it in 2017 and you go down, say, the political science route or something like that, then maybe you or I would uh, start to be suspicious about the information which you're receiving and say, well, this is about the algorithm or this is about X and Y, you know, and like start to be a bit cynical about the stories which you're being told uh, through the internet. But I think for Jonathan, the stories are always very real, you know, and I think that that's a necessary consequence of the being in this in that symbolic mindset. And I don't think it's I don't think we should be critical really about it because he manages it so well and he's so insightful about the, all of these all of these things that are happening. And I think that even though it's healthy for the rest of us to be cynical about some of them. Like they still all have meaning. They still all have meaning, which should be um, uh, interpreted by, by a talented person like Peugeot, you know? Yeah. Well, it's it, so like the question is, how do you, how do you have faith in somebody or a concept or even in God when you sort of like, or, or even in, in the story, in one of these stories of like, of like getting meaning by sacrificing or getting, um, getting, <laughs> like getting rid of all of your anxiety and stuff through like through the through the scapegoat thing. How do you believe in those stories once you kind of you know how they work? It's like <laughs> it's uh, sorry, maybe that's a bit of a loose connection, but like so looking at somebody and seeing that they have flaws, but still, still looking up to them are still like respecting is like how, how do you how do you personally judge somebody who clearly knows more than you but you can see that there's some issues but you're not really sure where the where the line of those issues ends you know yeah that's that's one of the problems which which is emerging that's is is the problem of hierarchy and it's the problem of uh like yeah how how do we relate to these people that are in different a different place like you can't communicate with with people who have attained a certain degree of fame like you just can't directly communicate with them because they're getting too much information they the way that they relate to information just changes but i think that these things are really in in early days you know i want to write my next article about this subject actually like the nature of these little uh, online hierarchies and like how they might change or how they might get more formalized, you know? Get more formalized. What do you mean? Well, you know, hierarchies have to be, so like, if, let's take uh, Jordan Peterson, right? So he has millions of people who 
uh, are kind of below him in these little hierarchical structures. Like he's talking to them, they're giving him attention and money, you know. Uh, but the structure with Jordan Peterson and all his followers got got kind of fucked up and chaotic. And he he, you know, he it got overly dramatic for him and it turned into this stressful situation. Right. And yet his followers can't communicate with him. So all so like maybe that chaotic situation could be resolved by adding steps in between Jordan Peterson and the level of the followers. And I think that that's what hierarchy does. It adds levels in between the top and the bottom of the hierarchy. Right. It, it, it stratifies the hierarchy. And I think that maybe that's one of the uh, steps in the formalization of these hierarchies that could happen. I'm not sure. I think he, just the way you just described that kind of kind of story actually made a little connection for me. So it's like he, in our relationship, so th- this is kind of bringing back to like an idol worship type thing. So if we take we take the kind of inverted version of the Girardian story of like focusing all our desire on a particular thing, then we finally sort of, we begin to celebrate it as if it's like the meaning of existence. And then once we've got all that energy out, then we can, then we can finally see it for what it is and see that it wasn't all that we kind of, we made it up to be. And, so, and then it becomes an, an object of, in the same way that that, that the escape, the, the God of Azazel becomes like a deity that saves you, that becomes a thing that's like uh, something that's just detestable. It's like totally annoying. And, and this is like, you see this so much in the deconstructionist kind of Christian movement of like people who are like, they have so, they, they put so much on their church or so much on their religion or their particular pastor or whatever as like, this is it. This is, this is how you got to live life. And there's like, there was no intermediary steps of like actually, you know, pointing to some, some little uh, new states of, of being in between there. It was just like, they put all of their positive energy aimed at one particular person and then they let them down and then suddenly, okay, actually Christianity is the worst and all of my problems are, dude, we kind of swap back and forth between these things. But it's like, that's what some people are having that, that experience with, a, with Jordan Peterson. And I feel like I, on a, on a micro scale, I've even had that happen with hmm. each one of these guys. Like I said, I, I tend to get really obsessive whenever I find an idea that seems interesting to me. So like I, for me, it was like, oh, Peterson, that guy has all the ideas. Like this is, this is everything I need right now. And then yeah. I got to a point and I was like, mm, actually, this guy's kind of bothering me a little bit. I think I'm kind of done. <laughs> but it's like yeah, how so do you avoid the, doing that yeah so if, if the if there's if there's more substance to um the idea structures that these people create and their and their followers then maybe there's yeah you can you can spread the pressure out and there's not so much pressure on those people and there's not so much idolization from uh, on our side of these people so it's literally just a, a, a matter of, of kind of being too isolated. It's like, okay, if you're going to participate in a, in a, in a church or a, or a large, you know, uh, even a, a high, using the word hierarchy. So you see like this kind of branching structure. If, if there's literally just one stump and then there's all the branches and there's, and there's no intermediary steps there, that tree can't function. Yeah. And yeah, then, exactly. And then you get those, it's like, then you get those sort of negative the the story plays out in kind of an unhealthy way. But like, yeah. to me, it seems like, again, that, that story of like relieving the pressure, it's not a bad one. Like, it's not, it's just like, it's not as precise as as we are kind of mature enough to be right now. Like the, the Christian story just seems to be just a more mature version of the of the story Gerard discovered, it seems like to me. Yeah, there's just so much, so much in it. And all of the connections that you're seeing, that you're, that you're making and the um especially the insights into modern life like gerard was writing and speaking right up until 2015 and he saw so many of the things that that are happening right now like he saw the the like hyper fragment of christianity that is social justice like he saw that already in the 1990s and before he saw it happening and um he he des- he describes a lot of its ele- a lot of its nature in a really insightful, helpful way, and he also like has a lot of insights into the all of the conflicts that are going on between people. You just you just find so much in his work. His work's quite annoying, you know, in some ways because it's 
it's very um it's quite arrogant in some ways but it's, it's like well worth reading it and i think that you would enjoy reading it you know if you if you got past some of the technical theory you would find a lot of stuff there that would connect with you good so wh- wh- where should i go next what's the what's the book i should read if you want to just read a short book which is his summary like that's his summary you've got to read uh i see satan fall like lightning and that's by gerard and it's his kind of summary of all of his work and like what meaning it originally has for... that was by jesus what's that i thought originally that quote was by jesus uh yeah <laughs> yeah it's from the bible okay that, that's a yeah, great it's, title it's, I've, I'm it's intrigued. a very beautiful, very beautiful uh or very powerful image yeah so so like that's yeah i, I recommend that book as like a, a a kind of introductory work if you want to have something that's digestible because it's not very long if you want to read the rest of his work you're looking at like four long books really that are quite technical but um well, that's a pretty good stack for, a... for myself to try to read through right now so i should probably pick the short one <laughs> cool man yeah sounds sensible good well dude thanks oh, guys, so much well, for... it was... oh man we're doing this again <laughs> <I'll let you laughs> start. yeah it was uh, it was great talking to you man um uh, maybe we'll do it again some other time. And uh, good luck with your channel. Thanks so much, man. Thanks for coming on. Kept with you guys for the most part. <laughs> Thanks, Evan. <laughs> no problem. All right, see you later, guys. Well, that was interesting. If you enjoyed this conversation, consider sharing it with someone else you think might find it interesting. Even better, try to find someone you think might disagree with something here and take some time to listen to their perspective. Try to have a meaningful, good-faith conversation. Practice listening deeply and patiently, and speaking clearly and precisely. I think if we can get better at this, we might actually change the world. Anyway, thanks for listening. I'll catch you next time.